Good morning, Capshaw. There we go. Please stand for the reading of our opening scripture. Today we're reading out of Romans chapter 2. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impotent heart that you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immorality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. Praise God for his word. Let's worship um, through singing this morning. Praise the Lord.
he lavished on us. His life was the payment, and his blood was the cost. We stood beneath the dead we could never Capshaw. My name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's such a joy to gather with you today. We're going to continue to worship together by song and by through the preaching proclamation of the Word of God. And, and so we're going to do that. And listen, I will say, if you're new here, uh, it is such a joy that you have chosen to, to, to worship with us today. And maybe this you're not totally new. Maybe you've been coming for several months and uh, but we've never connected, but uh, so what I would love to ask you to do, just sometime during today's worship service, you can look at, there's a card in, 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 the, fr- in the seat back in front of you. You don't have to take it and fill it out. There's a QR code on it. You can take your cell phone, most cell phones, uh, just pull up your camera and hold it over the QR code and it will show you the link. And then from there, you can request information. Uh, we can gather a little bit of information about you, maybe a way that we can connect with you. And then two, if there are things you can, we can be praying for, uh, you can uh, put those there. And that, that's not exclusively for those who are new, that's for everyone. And we find it a real joy to gather together each week and to, as a staff, as elders, to pray for you. Uh, and to pray for one another, and so we would love to do that. Uh, we're going to continue to worship today. I do want to take just a moment, though, just to uh, just put a little bit of piece of information. We are, you know, as you can tell, this 2020 is the year of where nothing is totally normal. Um, but we're trying to make effort to make it as normal as we possibly can. And one thing we do each and every year, we have a, a really big tradition here uh, around Christmas is Capshaw Christmas. The worship team puts together an amazing concert for us uh, to stir us and our affections to Jesus um, through just really gospel-centered, gospel-rich music uh, that, uh, that is obviously festive uh, and uh, reminds us of Christ being the center of 
of all of Christmas. And so that is coming up. What's going to be different about this year is we're going to do two nights, a Friday night and a Saturday night, December, Saturday night and a Sunday. I, I, I blew it in the first service then. Uh, everybody's going to show up on Friday then. Um, so that's the 12th and the 13th. Okay, now I got my days wrong. 12th and the 13th, there is a Saturday and a Sunday. Uh, so just be on the lookout. The reason we're going to do two nights is because we want to be able to still have to separate people and let people have the, the proper distancing that we do because it's usually a, a semi-crowded uh, event that we have. And so uh, we look forward to that, gathering with you to do that, and we look forward to seeing what and hearing what the worship team puts together for us. We're going to continue to worship today. Uh, let's, let's praise and lift our hands high uh, to the name of Jesus.
you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made? Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Spirit move among us. And does Jesus our Messiah hold forever those he loves? Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. Is anyone
Beautiful stuff and a perfect uh, song to start our new series. Go ahead and have a seat, church family. Uh, so good to see you this morning, and uh, it's so good uh, to be seen, actually. Uh, as many of you know, I tested positive about three weeks ago for uh, COVID-19. My wife uh, went to visit her parents in northwest Indiana, and they had it. They didn't realize it, but she contracted it uh, from them and then uh, unwittingly brought it home to us. Uh, not that I'm bitter or anything, or uh, not that I'll use that against my uh, in-laws for a bigger Christmas present this year. Um, but uh, we're, uh, we're all doing much better now um, and uh, feeling, feeling great, actually. And I mentioned that to you for a couple of reasons, that we had COVID. One, um, so you know that it's been, we're well beyond the contagious stage, so I don't want anyone uh, panicking uh, over that. And the second reason, just to let you know how incredibly well-loved we felt, we didn't broadcast it, uh, we didn't post it on Facebook or anything, and yet from the very first uh, night uh, on into the second week of our sickness, we had people dropping off meals, ringing, the doorbell would ring, we'd look, and there was a lunch or a dinner or ice cream, and it was just so, we just were so grateful. Um, had pastors from other churches texting me, and um, so I don't know how everyone knew, but uh, we just felt so loved and so grateful for you. Uh, we love you. This is uh, such an amazing church by God's grace. And in fact, it's such a great church that if you're not a member of this church, uh, today would be a good day to consider uh, that, to think about what it means. In fact, you can do that at our Discovering Membership class, which is right after this service. Uh, lunch will be provided uh, from Jason's Deli, I believe, and uh, child care will be provided. So I think we have 16 or 18 that I've, so far that I've heard that have signed up, but if you are considering, you'd like to know what we're all about, what we believe, why we do what we do, please uh, join in that right after uh, this service. Let's pray, and we will uh, look at the Word together. Father in heaven, we are so glad to be able to praise the only worthy Savior, Jesus Christ, the only one who was able to conquer hell and death, the only one who is worthy to open the scroll. And Father, we thank you that we serve a risen Savior who is alive and with us even now, who is in fact uh, uh, praying for us and interceding for us and uh, loves us deeply. We thank you that you've given us your word through which we have the mind of Christ, and I pray that you would give us wisdom and humility and uh, just a desire to learn as we study this new book together, uh, begin this new series. I pray for your richest blessing over it. I pray that your spirit would conform us into the image of your beloved son as we look at it. And I pray you would not allow us to leave here unchanged. Uh, Father, we pray that you would do a work by your spirit through your word in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have uh, your Bible, turn with me to Habakkuk 1. And if you have no idea where Habakkuk is, that's okay. Uh, feel free to use your table of contents. No one will judge you. Um, if you have never heard a series, uh, a sermon from Habakkuk, uh, that wouldn't surprise me. That's okay, too. I've never preached from Habakkuk. It's such a, a small and tucked away book and such an obscure prophet that we really don't even know how to pronounce his name. I say Habakkuk. Uh, some people say Habakkuk. Maybe you've heard that. Some people just get frustrated and say Chewbacca. It's got some of the same letters. Um, but it doesn't really matter how you say it. It's fine. 
Um, we're going to be looking at it over the next, uh, well, this week and the next two weeks. And it's, I think, really, it's a great series for where we are in our country and our world right now. I think uh, Habakkuk is a very unique prophet, and he has things to say that are very relevant to us. So I think three weeks in this book will do us good. I mentioned to you uh, that I had uh, COVID-19. Well, the virus hit our family pretty hard, and we were sidelined for almost two weeks, and we had all the stuff, the fever and the chills and the weakness and the headache and the cough and all of those things. And there was uh, one particular day where I was at a low point, and, and I just heard that same day that a very good friend of mine had lost his father to COVID, so a lot of things were going on in my mind. And I must have been just in a terrible mood because Janine said, you know, you seem like you're, you're frustrated. In fact, you almost seem like you're mad. And I, I thought about it. I said, you know what? I think, I think I am mad, actually. I'm mad that I'm not 100% better. I'm mad that I still feel like garbage. I'm mad that I'm, this thing is still lingering. I said, I'm not mad at God, but I, but, but I am mad. But the more that I thought about it, I thought, who else could I be mad at over a seemingly endless uh, sickness over unanswered prayer. Who else could I be frustrated with but God? You know, there's, I've never really had someone, maybe once or twice, but very seldom will someone say to me, I'm angry at God. But the reality is we harbor disappointment with God all the time, even though we may never articulate it. And sometimes we're actually oblivious to the fact that we are angry at God. We become frustrated when our pain won't end, when our circumstances don't work out the way that we planned, when our grand scheme of things just doesn't uh, go the way we had orchestrated. And, of course, I realize that having COVID for two weeks is nothing compared to the pain that many people go through and, in fact, are going through. Think about the agony of losing a child that some have experienced, the grief of having to bury a spouse which some of you have gone through even recently. The anguish of having a disease that you know won't go away because it's terminal and there's no hope, humanly speaking. The disappointing, disappointment of wanting to have children but being unable to. The devastation of seeing a son or daughter walk away from the faith. The hurt of being abused, mistreated, or a victim of injustice. The pain of wanting to be in a relationship but finding yourself alone. There are all kinds of experiences in life that can lead us to harbor disappointment uh, toward God. The question is, what do we do with it? What are we going to do about it? Now, we could just say, look, I'm great. I'm fine. Don't worry about me. I'm doing great. But I'm not sure how helpful that is, and I'm not even sure how pleasing that is to God. I had a pastor uh, say to me just a few weeks ago, uh, it was explaining a little bit of what he was going through, and after he said after his wife suffered multiple miscarriages, he made a ministry change that went horribly. He found out he believed he was in the wrong spot. He himself contracted an illness that wouldn't seem to go away. And all that together created this, this real crisis in their marriage that he was afraid was going to split uh, him and his wife. He said, I got to that point. I just couldn't tell people, no, I'm doing fine. I couldn't say to people, no, everything is great. We're doing well. God is sovereign. Everything is good. He said, I just couldn't say that. Where do we find mentors who will help us articulate our frustrations and our challenges, our disappointments with God? Well, in Habakkuk, who was a prophet of God, we find a man who himself struggled with God mightily, 
He recorded that struggle for our benefit. We have in this book really a bit of a prophet's journey. We have him wrestling. We have him struggling. We actually have Habakkuk complaining to God about God. So what can we learn? Well, this morning we're going to see three things as we look at Habakkuk's complaint, the Lord's response, and then Habakkuk's rebuttal. So Habakkuk's complaint, the Lord's response, and Habakkuk's rebuttal. Look at, uh, we're going to start by reading verses 1 through 4. So here reads the word of the Lord. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Now, just a little bit of history here. Many of you know this already. but there, So the nation of Israel was God's chosen people, God's chosen nation. And for well over 100 years, the nation existed as a united monarchy with, that prospered greatly under the reign of kings Saul, David, and Solomon. And you read about the accoutrements of the temple and all the prosperity and the gold and the cedar and all of those things. Well, there came a point because of a transition in leadership, because of greed and cowardly leadership and so on, that the kingdom was divided. So you had in the north what's still called Israel, which was the much larger kingdom, which had as its capital Samaria. And then in the south, you had the southern kingdom of Judah, which had as its uh, capital Jerusalem. Well, the northern kingdom of Israel actually went off the rails, spiritually, morally, religiously. They abandoned the God of their fathers. They started to worship idols, idols that they made with their hand, idols of uh, the clay and dirt and, and wood and so on. And so they rejected God, and God punished them. God actually brought about uh, destruction at the hands of the Assyrians. And so by the time of this writing of Habakkuk, which is around 600 uh, B.C., the northern kingdom has been overrun, and essentially they really don't even exist anymore. But the southern kingdom still exists, and in fact had enjoyed a revival under King Josiah. Josiah was a godly king, and he wiped out all the pagan cults and, and, and all the uh, Asherah poles and, and all the ways that people would worship uh, the false gods. And so what happened was he, he was so offended by the false gods that not only did he burn the idols to the ground, as if that weren't enough, he took the ashes and he beat the ashes to dust and he scattered the dust over all those who followed the false gods. Uh, he led the people into a new covenant with God to keep the commandments of the Lord. And so uh, during Josiah, uh, Judah enjoyed great prosperity. But when Josiah died, he was killed by the Egyptian pharaoh, Necho, the kings who would succeed Josiah were evil. They were wicked and they were self-serving and they turned their back on the living God. In fact, Jeremiah says about these uh, kings, their eyes and heart were set only on dishonest gain, on shedding innocent blood, and on oppression and extortion. So under their oppressive leadership, all the joy evaporated. All the prosperity went to pot. Shows you the sort of damage that a bad leader can do to a nation, doesn't it? 
Those who worshiped God were being persecuted. And this, it was to this wicked and violent uh, nation and situation that, that Habakkuk would prophesy and minister. And what happened was there were still some people who wanted to follow the, the God of the Bible, Yahweh, the, the covenant-keeping God of Israel. But th- those were just a small, faithful few who were being persecuted by the broader majority. And so there was violence and there was wickedness and there was destruction. And on, on top of all of that, there was a growing famine in the land. Food was scarce and, and produce was scarce, so much so that uh, for many, meals were not guaranteed. It was a very, very dark time. And God was nowhere to be found, or so it seemed. And Habakkuk cries out to God with a sort of honesty that's frankly uncomfortable. Now, I want you to notice what is most disconcerting to Habakkuk. What is it that bothers him the most? Yes, he's concerned about the violence. And yes, he is very disturbed by the oppression of the faithful ones. But what is it that Habakkuk is most bothered by? It is the disappearance of God. This is, this is the way he, see, he saw things. It was the disappearance of God. And so he says, God, where are you? Where are you among all this wickedness? Why don't you show up? You make me see the violence. You make me see the injustice. You thrust it in my face, but then you look the other way. The prayers of Habakkuk are what's called prayers of lament. Prayers of lament have been part of the church since the beginning of the church, and in fact uh, were a rhythm of God's people long before Jesus came. If you're not familiar with this term lament, here's a definition. A lament is a kind of prayer that voices a complaint to God about experienced or observed suffering. And it is uttered to persuade God to act on the sufferer's behalf. And this is where Habakkuk would go. In fact, he was a guy who experienced suffering because he is saying to a community of people, turn to God. And in this fact, this made him a very isolated person. You ever had somebody in your life and you've watched them go down the wrong road and you know that it's going to bring destruction, you know it's going to bring absolute uh, pain and hurt and turmoil and you say, look, you need to stop what you're doing, turn and go the other direction, but they won't listen to you. It's a very helpless, it's a very heartbreaking and, and really lonely feeling. This is where Habakkuk was. In fact, uh, Old Testament scholar Palmer Robertson writes, Habakkuk suffers with a sense of aloneness as a consequence of the estrangement created by the violence of God's people that they've experienced, have experienced at the hands of one another. So Habakkuk has experienced suffering. He's also observed suffering. He says in verse 3, destruction and violence are before me. Now these are interesting Hebrew words. So the words for destruction and violence used separately... Uh, tend to refer to a culture or a situation where people are physically at odds with each other and attacking each other. But according to J.M. Roberts, who's a historian and, and Hebrew linguist, when those two words are used together in this way, it tends to indicate an oppressive government. And so what Habakkuk is saying is he's looking out at a government that's turned against God, that is persecuting those who would follow God, and that's not only not protecting the least of these but actually threatening the lives of the least of these. So what does a Christian community do when violence is in the streets, riots are everywhere, 
when the government threatens persecution, when the lives of the most vulnerable are not only not being protected, but they are being threatened, what do God's people do? God's people pray. Not just flowery prayers, not rote prayers, not even simply prayers of praise, but prayers of anguish, prayers of lament, prayers urging God to do something for the sake of His name and His glory. Here's our first point this morning. Lament is a vital and underutilized resource for God's people as they negotiate pain and suffering. Do you realize that almost half, almost half of the biblical psalms are psalms of lament? Almost half of them. The poet gives words to his anguish and his desperate situation, and yet how many churches ever sing laments? We do, and I'm thankful for that. In fact, the song that we, that we just finished with is a bit of a lament where we look out and we see the brokenness of this world. How many churches ever sing lament? 2012, in another church, I added to our team a pastoral intern in the area of music worship. He was a junior in college, remarkably gifted, uh, uh, much like Pastor Chris, he, under, he had a deep understanding of theology and, and a musical giftedness, and so we brought him on, and, and it, things, I just loved the guy, I loved the way that he thought, I loved the way he served the church, and so talked with the elders, and we decided that after he graduated, we would offer him a full-time position, which we did, and he accepted. One of the things that I was kind of surprised by was how polarizing he was. Now, some people just absolutely loved him. And for good reason. But, but there was a group of people, a pocket of people, who started to criticize him. Now, he was a bit uh, quirky. He was a, a millennial who was committed to a minimalist lifestyle. So you go in their house, there's like nothing there. He wore the same skinny jeans and scoop neck t-shirt every week. Same ones every week. Sometimes he looked like he'd slept in them. And so um, he was all wrinkled and disheveled. And so he started to get criticism from a variety of places. And, and I was glad to have his back and, and glad to support him. But one of the criticisms that was, that was uh, level at him the most was this. Some of our songs that we sing, they just aren't very, they aren't happy enough. Uh, they just don't, I don't feel happy when I sing them. And I was blown away by this young man's maturity. And he was never bitter or, or, or angry in the way that he responded to people. But he said, he said, shouldn't the songs that we sing reflect our overall experience with God and with our world? Gathering as God's people, he said, it's not an escapist exercise. It's not like going to the movie theater where, where you, you just put everything away, you block everything out. He said, no. Aren't we encouraged in the Psalms to be honest about our struggles, not just act like we're happy all the time? We've made no place corporately, at least in the Western world, especially in North America, to express our pain and suffering. Instead, we feel like as Christians, we have to be happy, and we put on a happy face, and when someone asks us how we're doing, of course, we have to be fine. We would rather escape our struggles than address them. Scottish theologian Ian de Guide argues, there are therefore virtually no laments in contemporary Christian music. Our culture does not want to look in the face of grief and sorrow. We move death and sickness out of the realm of the ordinary, the home, into hospitals, where we try to ignore it as far as possible. 
We have little place to express corporately our grief and suffering. Instead, we force ourselves to don a grin and live in perpetual denial of the dark side of our emotions. Denial of even the possibility that all will not magically turn out well. But Habakkuk is different. He he doesn't resort to this sort of fake optimism, fake naivete. He doesn't act like he's doing well. We just read he's actually doing very poorly at the moment. He doesn't pretend like he's doing great. In fact, millennials would love Habakkuk because there's no fakeness about him. You know, He's just totally real. He's just totally out there. He expresses his concerns and disappointment with God in a way that really, again, is, is, is off-putting in a sense. Habakkuk is ruthlessly honest, and his wild honesty is meant to compel us as readers to look into our own souls and find those areas where we are struggling, where we are disappointed, where we've not been honest with God. As we find Habakkuk crying out to God, we find ourselves doing the same. But there's something you won't see in Habakkuk until chapter 3. Obviously, we can't cover the whole book in one Sunday. So in chapter, when we get to chapter 3, we start to see the maturation that takes place in Habakkuk's faith and perspective. It's really a beautiful thing. We talked about spiritual growth in our, in our series in Philippians and how it works and how it happens. And we said that God's, those who are alive in Christ, who actually are indwelled with the Spirit, which is all believers, they will necessarily grow because God brings about sanctification. Well, here in Habakkuk, we're actually going to see a person's progress in the faith. So it's a fascinating thing. Now, it happens over time. We read these three chapters, and we think this all happened in a 24-hour period, but it actually happened over time. In fact, next week, we're going to see this beautiful poetic passage where he says, I'll take my stand at the watch post, and he kind of gets alone uh, by himself. But this took place over time, but through that time period, Habakkuk's faith is deepened, and remarkably, it's deepened in large part because of his openness with God. Here's our second point. Honest and open conversations with God serve to strengthen our faith and deepen our fellowship with Him. It may seem scary at first to open up and be that honest with God because you know, the way it often works in our marriages, you say something and it seems like, you know, it, it doesn't go well. Then a month later, six months later, you know, we use it against one another. We bring it. We say, we may think, well, I don't want to be that honest with God because what if he brings it up and uses it against me? What, what if I say something to God and I actually expose to him just my own struggles and my own dark sides and my own thoughts? Well, here's the thing. First of all, God, God knows our thoughts already. They are wide open before them. He sees our entire thoughts. He knows everything we think. And the other thing, God is not like us. He doesn't hold things against us. He doesn't keep a list of our wrongs. He doesn't, he's not spiteful the way that we tend to be. We worry that if we share a complaint against God, He'll hold it against us for life. But that's not how God works. And here's the thing. It's actually not a lack of faith. To cry out to God with our complaints, it's actually the evidence of faith. We're, we're really treating God like a real person. A man shared with me once about this major battle that he had with God. And his son was going through this incredible tragedy. And he said, I, I went out at night by myself and I felt like I was standing between God and my son. And he said, I said to God, 
you know, you know me and you know how I am. You can do anything to me, but why would you do this to my son? Why would you put my son through this? What has he done to deserve this? Why would you do this? And he said, he cried out to God. He said, I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know if I really believe that you're good anymore. And as he's sharing this story with me, he said, I realized it was the first time that I'd ever really treated God as a real person. This is a guy who counseled other couples. He says, the first time I actually ever treated God as a real person. See, lament is not a lack of faith. Lament is believing that God will hear us when we cry out to Him, even though we may be frustrated that it's taken so long. This is why, by the way, we see the men and women of faith, so many men and women of the faith in the Scriptures say to God, How long, O Lord? How long are you going to delay? In fact, even the martyrs. You know what a martyr is. A martyr is someone who has been killed because of his faith. Even the martyrs, even those who were so faithful to God, they were actually slain because of their faith. This is what they cry out, according to John in his revelation. John writes, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge our blood? In other words, we've died for you, God. Why are you taking so long? And those who dwell on the earth. Lament is kind of like peeking around the corner, so to speak. Anticipating the mercies and justice of God. Anticipating that He will act. Just maybe not in the way or the time that we think. Now look at God's response, verses 5 through 11. God says, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. It's a Hebrew word also mostly used for the Babylonians. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Now, This is what God says about the Babylonians. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity will go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff. At rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress. For they pile up earth and take it. And then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Now a couple of things stand out here. First of all, that God does not rebuke Habakkuk for his honesty. In fact, he, he actually responds to him. I think one of the most comforting things we see in, in all the scriptures is God's compassion for impatient waiters. God knows that he can appear slow to us. He understands we don't... We don't see the whole picture. We don't see the whole perspective. You know, it's like we've got a lot of quilters in our church, and if you see somebody looking, making a quilt and you look at the back side of that when all the loose ends are there and all the tangled threads, God knows we don't see the beautiful tapestry that He's working. He knows that sometimes it can seem like He's working very slow to us. Sometimes it can appear as though He's actually abandoned us and turned His back on us. Sometimes we may even conclude that He doesn't love us. 
that he's not working out good. And God knows that, and yet he's patient with us. He doesn't rebuke us. He responds to us. Now, a second thing that stands out in God's response is that he actually doesn't disagree with Habakkuk's assessment. He doesn't say, no, you, you've got this all wrong. You're not seeing things correctly. God sees it as well. He says, yes, things are bad, and they're about to get worse. God will use the Babylonians to bring about judgment on the people of Judah. To put it very bluntly, if you've done any biblical history, you read the Old Testament, you know the Babylonians are pretty much the worst people to ever live. They are the most violent and bloodthirsty and hateful people. Uh, my granny in Middle Tennessee, Tennessee used to say about some really mean people, they just as soon cut your head off as look at you. This is the way the Babylonians were. And their rise to power was pretty incredible. Now, it wouldn't be long-lived. If you know about biblical history, it would actually, they would rise, they would ascend to power, and then they would be over, overwhelmed and overcome. But under King Nebuchadnezzar, they rose to power, this sort of meteoric pace. They, they, they conquered the Egyptians at the Battle of uh, Carchemish. And, and then after that, um, they were moving southward, threatening the lands of Syria, Israel, and Edom. And soon, God says... Soon they will come for you, and they will utterly destroy you. They are a bitter and hasty nation, God says in verse 6. Their horses are swifter than leopards, verse 8. Their horsemen descend on their prey like eagles, verse 9. They come for violence. Author and professor Heath Thomas writes, Language stretches to the limit to grasp hold of the destructive power and psychological terror that typify this predator nation. God says, you will be plundered and pillaged. Your homes will be destroyed. Your wives and your children will be taken from you. You will be enslaved to a brutal and hostile nation. Now, of course, Habakkuk doesn't receive this very well. This is not uh, something that he can accept. And so um, he, is, he must have thought, your solution to violence and injustice is more violence and injustice? I ask you, where are you, God, when all this is going on? Why don't you do something to see about all this evil? And your response to me is, brace yourself, it's going to get worse? Habakkuk can't believe what he's hearing. And in his confusion, he challenges God. Look at verses 12 and 13. Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You know, there's almost nothing like this in the whole Bible. The entirety of Scripture, you find almost nothing like this. Habakkuk confronts God with a series of rhetorical questions. And you know about a rhetorical question. It's not meant to be answered. A rhetorical question is one that's used to make a point. Habakkuk said, I thought you were the eternal God from everlasting to everlasting. I guess I was wrong. I thought this is my Father's world, but I guess I was mistaken. I thought you were the author of history, the sovereign one, but I guess... I was confused. 
the, those who are really, I, I know the Hebrew language, but I'm not an expert in it. Those who are really experts in the Hebrew language say that these, these are actually insults toward God. But the great reformer John Calvin says that, that uh, Habakkuk just went right up to the line. He towed the line of blasphemy. So what, what do we make of this? Are we to talk to God like this? Is this the way we'd approach God? What do we do with this? Well, let me give you a hint. God's the one who put it in the Bible. He's the one who included it in his revelation. He put it there as an example for us, a sort of, a sort of honesty, a sort of desperation that shows that we actually believe in God and believe that he can do something. Reminds me of a story I heard once about a Jewish woman outside of the St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City, right in the heart of the city. She was yelling outside and yelling about, complaining about the Holocaust and asking questions really to no one in particular. She was yelling out, if the God of the Christians is so great, then where was he during this atrocity? If the God of the Christians can be trusted, then where was he when my people were killed? Where was he when my people were murdered and tortured? She's yelling, and she's not speaking to anyone, but the priest inside hears her, and he comes out, and he says, it sounds like you're very angry with God. She said, oh, you have no idea. You have no idea the anger that simmers in my soul toward God. And the priest said, why don't you come on in and tell him face to face? He can handle it. He can handle it. Now notice that Habakkuk, despite his confusion and frustrations and, and, and incredible honesty, he doesn't walk away from God. He still calls out to God as his Lord and rock. Habakkuk concludes, if I can't figure out life with you, God, how can I possibly make sense of it without you? Now look at verses 14 through 17. You make mankind like the fish of the sea. This is a reference to God like crawling things that have no ruler. And then he switches and he talks about the Babylonian. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Now we see here Habakkuk is slowly starting to shift in his thinking. We won't see the fullness of it again until we get later on in this book, but he's slowly starting to think. When he thinks about God, when he thinks about God, he thinks in terms of creation and covenant. He thinks in terms of creation, verse 14, you made mankind. And he thinks in terms of covenant. He says, my Lord, my Holy One. It's, it's language reminiscent of the way God would introduce himself to Moses at the burning bush. He says, I am the God of your fathers. He says, I am your God and you will be my people. So Habakkuk is thinking now in terms of creation and covenant. And that covenantal perspective starts to inform, again, his complaint. See, the wicked looks at creation as something to be conquered, and then when they conquer creation, they actually rejoice and celebrate their own ingenuity. Habakkuk says about the Babylonian, the wicked person, they catch all these fish with a net, and then they worship the net. 
But he's thinking about creation differently. For him, the redeemed, they look at creation as evidence of a creator and a redeemer. What Habakkuk is beginning to see is the bigger picture here. What he's beginning to see is God's design. And so he frames his complaint in light of God's covenantal relationship with his people. And here's, here's our third and final point, and I'll have to explain a little bit more next week. But trusting in the broader intentions of God is key to a maturing faith. Now notice, Habakkuk doesn't understand all of this. He's still saying to God, why are you doing this? He's saying to God, I'm telling you about all this violence and you tell me you're just going to bring more upon me? He doesn't understand it at all. It doesn't make sense to him. He has no idea how God could use violence and and judgment to address violence. But he's starting to see, as he reflects back on this creator king, he's starting to see that God has bigger, broader intentions. Now, what do I mean by the broader intentions of God? Well, Even the worst things imaginable that happen to you, that happen to me, that happen in our nation, that happen in our world, they're all part of God's providential plan, which has been around since before the world was created. It's all part of this divine plan that that is based and rooted in His infinite wisdom. And so I don't know specifically what what you're going through. I know what some of you are going through because you've shared it. But I don't know. Maybe it's a marital conflict. Maybe it's a challenge at work. Maybe it's a physical illness. Maybe it's a sense of this palpable sense of loneliness. Maybe it's a, a sense of anxiety over the future. I don't know what everyone is going through. But I can promise you this. Whatever you're going through, it's actually part of the providential hand of God, which is for your good, your ultimate good, and His glory. You say, well, how can I say that? I can actually say to you that the single greatest, most evil event in all of history was actually part of God's sovereign plan. It was part of God's design. What did God mean when, in, in verse 5 when He said that He was going to do something that Habakkuk wouldn't believe in, even if it were told. Well, the Babylonians did come, just as God said they would. And they did destroy Judah. And that caused the dispersion of the Jews throughout all of Asia Minor, throughout the Mediterranean world, throughout the Aegean. And it would be through the Jewish people that the rest of the world would be introduced to the one true and living God. The Jews at that time said, no, salvation is is ours. It belongs to us. It belongs to only us. And God said, no. My salvation is for all the nations. And if you won't go to them, I'll scatter you so that the whole world will know who I am. God had a plan for even the most violent destruction of Judah at the hands of the Babylonians. It was a plan to introduce the world to himself. And as I said, God uses the evil plans of men to accomplish His divine will, even the single most evil event in all of history. And of course, I'm talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. The brutal death, the shameful death of the Lord of the universe 
was part of God's amazing plan to bring salvation to you and me. In fact, Peter said to his own people some 630 years after Habakkuk wrote this, he said, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourself know this, this Jesus, what delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Even the greatest, most heinous, most wicked event in all of history, the perfect Lamb of God slain by wicked, rebellious men, was something that was part of God's providential plan, His wise plan, so that you and I could be forgiven. So that nothing that you or I have ever done, I'm, not ta- I'm talking about things nobody knows about. I'm talking about things you thought were beyond forgiveness. I'm talking about things that you don't even want to talk about to other people. All the things that we have done. I'm talking about things that I'm still ashamed of years later. All the things that we have done. We find complete and total forgiveness through the person and work of Jesus Christ. A person and work that was part of God's sovereign design to bring about salvation. Now, of course, Habakkuk doesn't know all this yet. He doesn't know all the details. He doesn't understand the fullness of God's plan. This is why God said, even if I told you, you still wouldn't believe it. But we know the whole story. We know the depth of God's love demonstrated for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. We know the length to which God went to bring salvation to the world and to us. So when we go through the things that we talked about, the loneliness and the isolation and the pain and the hurt and the grief and the mourning and all of those things, we cry out to God with a brutal, I would even say a wild honesty. But even as we do so, we have to look beyond our immediate circumstances and trust that God has broader intentions, intentions that are for our good, and for the glory of his name. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your prophet Habakkuk. Thank you for this book, which shows us that we can be honest with you, which shows us that when we cry out to you in anguish and pain, it doesn't mean we don't believe. It doesn't mean we are less, lesser Christians. We are crying out to you because we believe that you can do something. And Father, I pray that even as we cry out to you in our pain and our struggle and loneliness and all the things that, that are part of this really crazy world from our perspective, this crazy year, this totally unpredictable year, help us, Lord, to trust that you have broader intentions, that you have plans that are for our good, that you are working all things according to the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose And Father, will you enable us by your Spirit to take great comfort in that reality. Help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Church, let's stand and sing together.
for His grace. Amen? We want to thank you for joining us uh, this morning. As uh, This is a time where we continue to worship God by giving back to Him what's already His. And by doing that, we're admitting that God's way is better than our way. And uh, it's, I've been extremely encouraged during this time of pandemic knowing that uh, because of your faithfulness, your generousness, we have been able to continue partnering with ministry partners around the globe. Um, and it's one of those things, because of your faithfulness, we've been able to, to still contribute to their mission as they, as they are like-minded with our church family. They, they are dedicated to making disciples who make disciples, proclaiming the gospel. But that being said, this morning, uh, before we pray for our offering, I want to ask you, uh, as, as our church family, who, once again, you know, we don't just partner, we all partner with our, with our ministry partners. And this week, uh, in the next few days, our uh, ministry partner, Point Honduras, and Tegucigalpa, Honduras will be hit with a, it may be a, a tropical storm by that point, but, but it will be the second tropical storm hurricane event that will hit that region in three weeks. So, so last time, you know, we checked with them and everything was, was still going well. They're, they're safe and their communities are still, are still, they're still ministering to their communities. But, uh, but, but, but I ask that you would continue to pray for them this week as they brace to be hit again with another tropical Event. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. You can give, or before we do that, you can give multiple ways. You can give here at the church as you exit. You can go online. You can use the app. There are multiple ways that you can give. But let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask that he will bless our offering this morning. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your grace as we sing about this morning. And we're grateful um, in, in the fact that we know that you are the sovereign king and that you are in charge of all. But God, we're also grateful that you love us and care for us as much as you do. God, as we, uh, as we reflect on the gospel this morning, I am so, so incredibly thankful, Lord Jesus, for the many ministry partners you've, you've placed uh, in partnership with us here at Capshaw. God, we're grateful, for, we're grateful knowing that, uh, that our mission, which is making disciples who make disciples, is occurring around the globe. So God, we want to lift up each and every one of our ministry partners to you. We pray for them during this time for comfort, for endurance. And God, we especially want to lift up our, uh, our friends, uh, uh, actually our family, down south uh, at Point Honduras. We pray that you will be with them during this time as well, God. That you would offer clarity to their situation, that you would be with them in the coming days and keep them and their communities safe. But also, God, keep the infrastructure in place so they're able to continue to minister to the communities that they so regularly do so, Lord. God, this morning as, we, uh, as we'll take up our offering, not only this morning but throughout the week, God, I pray that you will just be with that offering, God, that you'll bless it as it will go, uh, go, go across the globe, not only here locally but across the globe, God, to, uh, to fund those who are proclaiming the gospel. God, we are grateful for our church and their, generous, and their generosity during this season. And uh, God, that's something that, uh, that we're just extremely grateful for. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, church family, before we dismiss, we're going to read a benediction out of Romans in the, the eighth chapter, uh, verse 38 and 39 says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. We love you guys. We hope you have a great week. We will see you next week. You are dismissed.